These days, work is in trouble. We've outsourced most of our manufacturing to other countries. And with that, we sent away good jobs and our capability to make things. American Giant is a clothing company that's pushing back against this tide. They make all kinds of high-quality clothing and activewear, like sweatshirts, jeans, dresses, jackets, and so much more, right here in the USA. So when you buy American Giant, you create jobs in towns and cities across the country. And jobs bring pride. Purpose. They stitch people together. If all that sounds good to you, visit American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order when you use code STAPLE20 at checkout. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com with promo code STAPLE20. Hello, Campus Cronies, and welcome back to Campus Crime Chronicles. I'm your host, Nicole Turner, former college professor, current college administrator, but always a true crime addict. In every episode of this podcast, I take a deep dive into some sort of true crime that occurred on a school campus or a crime that's associated with a college or university in some way. For each episode, I rate the seriousness of the crime from 1 to 5 on my very own serious crime scale, with one being completely not serious, possibly even a little humorous from time to time, to 5 being very serious. This episode is rated a five. It's the story of Humboldt State University student David Josiah Lawson. In 2017, Josiah, who is commonly known by his middle name, was stabbed to death at a house party off campus. Even though there are tons of witnesses from the scene who can testify about exactly what they saw happen, police have not charged anyone, I should say, with Josiah's murder. In fact, the one person police suspected of the crime was arrested, but then released after only five days of testimony at a preliminary hearing. And that hearing was less than a month after Josiah was killed. This episode is titled Murder at a House Party. So without further ado, let's get started. David Josiah Lawson, who went by either Josiah or DJ by those close to him, was born and raised in Southern California by a very loving, caring mother, Charmaine Lawson. Charmaine originally came to the United States from Jamaica when she was only 14 years old. But despite the hardships that go hand in hand with raising three children alone, Charmaine always wanted the best for her kids and she worked hard to give them a good life. Charmaine told Dateline NBC that Josiah, being the oldest of her three children, saw how hard she worked, and he was always willing to lend his mother a helping hand. In 2015, when Josiah was a senior in high school, he and his mother attended a local college fair. When Josiah saw the booth for Humboldt State University, also called Cal Poly Humboldt, he called his mother over to the table to check it out. Humboldt State is a public university in Arcata, California, with about 6,500 students. 
Arcata is located in Northern California, only about 90 miles away from the Oregon border. And Josiah, being a Southern Cali kid who was used to a bustling city life, was attracted to the natural beauty and landscape that Humboldt County had to offer. Arcata is a rural town with a population of about 18,000 people, and it is full of tall, beautiful redwood trees. Some people even describe it as being behind the redwood curtain. So Josiah decided right then and there at the college fair that he wanted to attend Humboldt State. After graduating high school with honors, Josiah made the move from Paris, California to Arcata, California in August of 2015 to start his freshman year of college. Paris is a city in Riverside County, located about 71 miles outside of L.A., and Arcata is about a 12-hour drive from Paris on a good day. Well, at least from what I can tell from Google Maps, that is. But needless to say, Josiah wasn't moving just a little ways from home. It's a pretty good jaunt all the way from Southern California to Northern California. It's over 700 miles to be exact. After he arrived, though, Dateline NBC reported that Josiah was doing the typical college student stuff. He was hanging out with new friends, taking trips to the amazing Northern California beaches, and of course, doing some skateboarding. He chose to major in criminal justice because he had aspirations of one day being a lawyer and eventually getting into politics. And he also joined an organization his first year in college called Brothers United, which is a cultural leadership type of group whose members consisted primarily of black male students. Josiah also became the president of that organization while attending Humboldt State. Josiah's freshman year of college came and went, and when he returned to Humboldt State for his sophomore year in the fall of 2016, he elected to move off campus. He moved into a house with a couple of good friends, but that house was still just a short walk away from the campus. However, during Josiah's second year at Humboldt, his friends said he started feeling well, just not quite as happy. He started feeling like he just didn't belong on campus or really even in the town of Arcata. According to a documentary produced by SoCal Connected, Arcata has been called one of America's most enlightened towns where, quote, hippies and new age liberals are neighbors to loggers and old guard conservatives, end quote. And the campus of Humboldt State University is perched on a hill that overlooks the entire town of Arcata. But, you see, Arcata has a very high white population. In fact, Humboldt County, the rural county where Arcata is located, is literally one of the whitest counties in the state of California, with only about a 1.4% black population. And then the city of Arcata itself has only about a 3% black population. In addition, Arcata has only three roads, yes, just three, that lead in and out of the town. So that should also give you a better picture of exactly how rural the area is as well. Now, although it didn't happen all the time, or even most of the time for that matter, but Josiah and his fellow black and brown friends had more than enough race-related incidents to make them feel uneasy at best and straight up unwelcomed, a little on edge, and even somewhat scared at worst. They would sometimes get dirty looks in town, and they had even been refused service in an establishment before. But most of the time, Josiah and his friends just shrugged it off. 
But one incident in particular had Josiah questioning if he really wanted to stay in Arcata at all. That was when Josiah was riding home on a city bus and two white men made racial slurs toward him. When Josiah responded, he was the one kicked off the bus, not the two men. Josiah's friends said that incident was kind of his breaking point when it wasn't even safe for a college student to take public transportation anymore. One of Josiah's friends and roommates, Annalicia, who was also a minority and a former student at Humboldt, said she hadn't really experienced any type of blatant racism until she moved to Arcata for school. She said, quote, It's like something you hear about, but to really experience it, it's a totally different feeling, end quote. So that brings us to the night Josiah was stabbed. According to NBC News, Josiah attended a house party off campus. That house is located at 1120 Spear Avenue on a cul-de-sac at the end of the street. Now, the party was supposed to be the party of the year. More than 100 people attended that night in the wee hours of April 15th, 2017, and a lot of the partygoers included members of the Brothers United organization that Josiah was the president of. That night, Josiah arrived to the party with his friend and roommate, Annalicia, as well as his girlfriend, Renalyn Bobadilla, and two brothers named Kyle and Christoph Castillo. Sources say they showed up at around 2 a.m. and stayed at the party for about an hour before the group of five friends decided to leave. As they were making their way out the front door of the home, they were approached by a group of about five other people, including a young woman named Lila Ortega and her boyfriend, Kyle Zollner. Lila appeared distraught, and Zollner told Josiah and his friends that Lila had misplaced her rose gold iPhone 7. But instead of simply asking them if they'd seen her phone, sources and witnesses say that Lila accused Josiah and his friends of stealing it, and she demanded they empty their pockets. Needless to say, her quick-to-judgment accusation did not go over well with Josiah and his group of friends. They were offended, and rightfully so. Kyle Castillo, one of Josiah's friends, even told Zollner to tell Lila to cut it out. He said, quote, I don't say anything to her. I say something to Zollner, though. I told him, yo, can you just, like, tell her to relax? Because she doesn't really know me like that, and for her to accuse me of something like that, that's pretty deep." End quote. After that, things escalated quickly and a fight broke out between Renalyn, Josiah's girlfriend, and Lila Ortega, the one who was accusing people of stealing her phone. This, of course, caused Josiah and Kyle Zollner, Lila's boyfriend, to get into it. But after a few minutes, sources say the fight broke up and the two groups parted ways. At that point, Josiah, Renalyn, and the two brothers, Kyle and Christoph Castillo, I'm not really sure if Annalicia was also with them at that point, but those four, Josiah, Renalyn, and those two brothers, began walking away from the house toward the street of Spear Avenue. But the other group, who accused them of stealing the phone, stayed near the front of the house. However, it is unclear exactly what happened next, but... Somehow, or at some point, Renalyn soon realized that she and her friends had been pepper sprayed during the scuffle. Her eyes and face began to burn badly. So out of complete anger and in the heat of the moment, Renalyn turned around and headed back toward the house to confront Lila Ortega. Josiah, though not exactly sure what was going on, stayed in the street as one of his friends, Paris Wright, came up to him. 
Paris told Josiah that Rinalyn was arguing with Lila and one of Lila's friends, but Paris told Josiah that it didn't seem too serious. At that point, Josiah told Paris he was going to go back to check on Rinalyn to see what the deal was. He told Paris, quote, Okay, cool. I'm just going to go get her and we're going to leave. End quote. So Paris said, okay, and he kept on walking because he was actually trying to leave as well. But that quickly changed when Paris suddenly heard screams coming from the house. So he turned back around to see Josiah and Kyle Zollner wrestling in the grass behind a 1990s model red Mustang. As he got closer, Paris saw Josiah lying on his back on the ground, and Zollner was lying on top of Josiah with his back on Josiah's chest. Paris noticed that Josiah had one arm around Zollner's neck, and his other arm was wrapped around Zollner's arms. Paris quickly tried to separate the two guys, initially thinking that Josiah might have snapped, maybe, and decided to choke Zollner or something, because, I mean, what else would explain, like, how they were laying and wrestling? Clearly, Paris was looking out for his friend, though, and he didn't want Josiah doing something so silly and dumb in the heat of the moment that, you know, he'd later regret. But when Paris did get the two guys separated, he realized that Josiah didn't appear to be the aggressor at all. In fact, he appeared to be the victim. Paris said Josiah was just lying there, looking up at him with a blank stare. He said, quote, Josiah had said something, but I didn't hear it because at that point I saw blood, end quote. Josiah had been stabbed in his abdomen and was bleeding profusely. Paris looked over at Zollner and asked him if he stabbed his friend, but Paris didn't wait for an answer. Instead, he punched the shit out of Zollner right then and there before Zollner could say anything. At the same time, Rinalyn raced over to Josiah after she saw him bleeding and lying on the ground near some bushes in the yard. Elijah Chandler, one of Josiah's friends at the party, also ran to Josiah's side and began applying pressure to his wounds and performing CPR. Meanwhile, the whole party scene became chaotic. Some were calling 911 as people began screaming and crying out for help. Others, though, began to scatter and disperse, and several even took off and left the party altogether, all before police or paramedics arrived. As police arrived, you can hear one of Josiah's friends pleading for help, screaming, We need an ambulance! We need an ambulance right now! According to several sources, including an article in Inside Higher Ed and the official Justice for Josiah website, some people overheard two white women at the party, one of them being Lila Ortega, saying the most awful thing that is sure to make your blood boil. They were heard saying, quote, I really wish that inward does die. I really hope that inward dies, end quote. Elijah said, quote, they just kept repeating it, and I heard this as I am giving Josiah compressions to fight for his life, end quote. According to a police report, when police did arrive, which was before paramedics, they immediately took over and began life-saving efforts. But Elijah, who was actually the one performing CPR on Josiah, disputed that police report. He later told a crowd during a prayer service for Josiah that he was the one administering CPR, not the police, which he said he did for about 15 minutes until the ambulance arrived. Elijah also told the Mad River Union, an Arcata newspaper, that both officers and paramedics at the scene seemed hesitant and passive. 
Elijah also told KAEF-TV, an ABC station in Eureka, California, quote, I'm the one who gave him CPR. I ran to Josiah's side. I found him underneath the tree, fighting for his life and bleeding out, end quote. And there really is no disputing this because witnesses at the scene told numerous media outlets, and they also testified at a preliminary hearing, which I will come back to a little later in the episode. But witnesses said that police focused on breaking up the party, actually allowing potential key witnesses to leave, all while Josiah was laying there fighting for his life. According to an article in the Huff Post, party attendees said the confusion and chaos of the scene seemed to overwhelm the police officers who arrived. One Humboldt State student who grew up with Josiah and who was at the party that night as well, Katari Thompson, told the Huff Post that there were several black students standing outside yelling at the officers to pay attention to Josiah instead of worrying about the party scene itself. And another witness said that one of the officers did try to use a portable defibrillator on Josiah, but that the device itself didn't work. Or maybe it was simply the operator of the device. But hey, (laughs) that's my opinion, not the witnesses. Anyway, in the SoCal Connected documentary, a police officer can actually be seen and heard through police dash cam video, admitting that the scene was out of control and that he honestly didn't know what to do. He told another officer, quote, I'm glad you guys were there because I didn't know what the fuck I was doing, end quote. By now, though, the ambulance had arrived and they took Josiah to Mad River Community Hospital. As Josiah was on his way to the hospital, though, police began interviewing, if that's what you really want to call it, (laughs) maybe more like questioning, some of the party goers. That is, the ones who were still there anyway. Kyle Zollner, the one who Josiah got in the altercation with, was covered in blood, so police detained him and put him in the back of the police car. One officer can be heard telling Zollner, quote, So I got a bunch of people saying, you stabbed the dude, end quote. Kyle replied, what? And the officer said, that you stabbed him. Kyle responded, saying, quote, I'm like so out of it. I feel like I asked the dude about the party because I wasn't there and I just feel like he got really aggressive and that's all I remember. I feel like I got hit really hard, end quote. So the police officer then asked him, there's a knife over there. Is there any reason why your prince would be on it? At that point, Kyle simply said, um, like I said, I don't remember. The police officer then responded saying, so you have no idea why your prince would be on it. And Kyle said, Uh uh-uh, no idea. Y'all, listen to this, though. Zollner was the only suspect in the stabbing of Josiah. I mean, people at the party saw the altercation with their own eyes. Once Zollner was handcuffed, questioned in the police car, and then sent to the hospital to be checked out, police did take him to the station for an actual interview. But guess how long that official, actual interview lasted? A whopping 15 minutes. Yep, that's it. According to NBC News, Zollner was interviewed by Detective Sergeant Todd Dockweiler, which lasted only 15 minutes. Dockweiler later tried to explain this and blamed lack of resources and staffing issues for the short interview. Dockweiler said, quote, Ideally, that interview would go longer, as long as he was willing to talk to me. In this case, we just didn't have the luxury of having other investigators to do other perishable tasks that needed to be done, end quote. 
Regardless, police collected a 10-inch kitchen knife that was found at the scene under the red Ford Mustang, near the area where the fight occurred, and they sent the knife to a lab for forensic testing. Meanwhile, back at Mad River Community Hospital, Josiah, only 19 years old, succumbed to his injuries, and he was pronounced dead at 4.07 a.m. on April 15, 2017, which means this case went from a brutal attack to a brutal murder. According to the North Coast Journal, Josiah had been stabbed multiple times in the abdomen and once in his heart. After hearing the news, Josiah's friends and family were beyond devastated. Annalicia, one of Josiah's roommates who went to the party with him, said in the SoCal Connected documentary that when paramedics were taking Josiah away on the gurney and loading him into the ambulance, she asked them if he'd be okay. They said, yes, he'll be fine. But when Annalicia got to the hospital and talked to one of the nurses, the nurse told Annalicia that Josiah was likely gone before the ambulance ever even arrived to the scene. And Josiah's mother, Charmaine, was of course heartbroken and in complete shock and horror. How could something like this happen to her son? She had just called him hours before, so how is he not here anymore? That's what kept going through Charmaine's mind as she began to figure out how she was going to make that long trip to Arcata from Southern California. Seeing as how the only suspect was Kyle Zollner, a 23-year-old white man, police charged him with murder and a preliminary hearing began on May 1, 2017, only 15 days after the stabbing. Now, if you're thinking that's super soon, with very little time to collect proper evidence, then you'd be very right. But regardless, the preliminary hearing rolled on, where a judge acted as a neutral mediator to determine if there was enough evidence in the case for it to proceed to a jury trial. At that hearing, several people who attended the party that night were called to testify. One person, Jason Martinez, even testified that he saw the whole thing transpire. He said he saw Josiah, for sure, and another person whom he couldn't 100% identify get into a confrontation outside of the house. Jason said, quote, As soon as I hear, oh shit, he has a knife, I look up and the person that was talking to Josiah just takes his right hand and I see him go one on the lower part, left lower part of his stomach, and another one on his chest, end quote. Another person who attended the party, Casey Gleaton, was a friend of Zollner's. Casey testified that the next day after the party, she was hanging out at the apartment that Zollner shared with his girlfriend, Lila Ortega. While there, Casey saw Lila go outside to the car that Zollner had driven to the party, and Lila came back in with a bag of kitchen knives. Casey said she distinctly remembered Lila saying that there should be four knives in the bag, but that there were only three now. Regardless of the multiple witnesses and accounts of the crime, Judge Dale Reinholston dismissed the charges against Zollner after only five days of testimony. The judge noted that there was insufficient evidence for the case to advance to a jury trial. He said witnesses contradicted one another, that a bulk of the evidence presented was still being analyzed, that no one actually or directly saw the stabbing, and there was no proof that the knife found at the scene belonged to Zollner or that it was in Zollner's possession. Judge Reinholson said, quote, We know Josiah was killed, we know he was killed by a knife, and we know somebody at the party did it. But I don't think at this point we have sufficient reason to think the defendant did it. End quote. 
Y'all, this ruling caused an uproar in the town of Arcata, particularly between the residents of color and the white residents of the town. One resident, a black woman who was interviewed for SoCal Connected, actually compared the feeling of devastation, the emotion and tenseness that was in the air, to the Rodney King riots in L.A., Students at Humboldt State University, as well as a good chunk of the community, were rightfully angry and outraged, and justice for Josiah became a battle cry. If the crime and the handling of the crime wasn't a racial issue before, it definitely was now that justice was nowhere to be found. It became an us-versus-them split in Humboldt County. Luke Brownfield, a white public defender for Humboldt County, was interviewed in the SoCal Connected documentary as well. Brownfield said, quote, This case didn't have anything, in my opinion, to do with race, anything like that, nor Humboldt State University bringing kids from the city here. I don't think this case revolves around that issue. People, after the fact, made race a big part of this, and those reasons are, I don't know why people made it such a big deal about race, but it's turned into that, end quote. Um, yeah, so I'll just let those very defensive and ill-informed words set in for a minute before I move on. Anyway, Josiah's death and the result of the preliminary hearing brought tensions and fear to black and brown students, faculty, and staff at Humboldt, as well as black and brown residents of the town of Arcata, too. So, in response, the city of Arcata and Humboldt State University launched a series of town hall meetings and initiatives to address race relations— especially because there was even a rumor, not sure whether it's a true rumor or not, but there was a rumor going around that there was an active Ku Klux Klan group in the area. Plus, I think it's important to note that Josiah wasn't the only black student from Humboldt State to be murdered. In 2001, a student by the name of Corey Clark was killed and his murder is still unsolved. In fact, that good old public defender, Luke Brownfield, admitted that there is a lot of unsolved murders in Humboldt County, and he said, with his own words, that Josiah's murder was, quote, no bigger than any other homicide case that comes in, end quote. So, hearing all that, it is no wonder that Josiah's mother, Charmaine, was beyond hurt and angry and demanded justice for her son day in and day out. On the official Justice for Josiah website, Charmaine flat out addresses the issues in Humboldt County and how law enforcement handled, or more like mishandled, the entire case. She even goes as far as saying that she believes the district attorney's office even acted as a defense for Zollner. And let me tell you why she believes that. There are several reasons, but I'll start with the first one. After the charges were dismissed against Zollner, Charmaine contacted a retired FBI agent, a white man by the name of Tom Parker. Tom agreed to look into the case, pro bono, and he reached out to the Arcata Police Department. He wanted to know, specifically, why the case had been dismissed and what was wrong with it. He didn't have to dig too deep, though, before he soon realized that there were tons of mistakes made by law enforcement. First off, the responding officers didn't know how to properly protect or preserve the scene, and Tom said this showed incompetence by Arcata police. He said he would make suggestions to them, you know, like, have you done this or thought about that? But instead of an answer or cooperation from police, he'd just get a blank stare. He said it was almost a, quote, perfect storm of incompetence lack of interest, and this very subtle, below-the-surface racism that seemed to exist in the community, end quote. 
Tom Parker got so frustrated with the Arcata Police Department, not only because of their mistakes, but also because they refused to acknowledge those mistakes. So he ended up quitting his investigation after only six months. According to the Huff Post, Tom noted that he had never quit a consulting job, but Arcata Police seemed unwilling to solve the case or address the underlying racial issues in the community. I think it's also important to point out that after Tom Parker quit working the case, the then police chief resigned the next day. Not sure if it has any relevance or not, but at the very least, it is quite the coincidence, in my opinion. There was no new movement in the case until February of 2019. Under tremendous pressure from the community and Josiah's loved ones, District Attorney Maggie Fleming commissioned a criminal grand jury to give the case a closer look. This time, though, the jury was shown a key piece of new evidence that wasn't available during the preliminary hearing. Remember the knife? The actual murder weapon they sent off for forensic testing? Well, they now had the results of those tests that did, in fact, generate DNA evidence. According to one of the grand jurors, who was interviewed anonymously without revealing the juror's name by SoCal Connected, DNA was collected from two reddish-brown spots on the blade of the knife. 72% of the blood contained Josiah's DNA, and 26% contained Zollner's DNA. 15 out of 19 jurors agreed that Zollner stabbed Josiah that night. He was stabbed exactly six times in the chest and abdomen and once through his heart. KRCR-TV reported that there was one Hispanic woman on the jury, but the rest of the jury members were white. According to NBC News, 12 jurors needed to vote for charges against Zollner for the case to proceed to a trial. But in complete shock and confusion to everyone, the jury ultimately declined to indict Zollner. The juror interviewed by SoCal Connected said that while the majority of the jury members did agree that Zollner stabbed Josiah, most of them were also convinced that the stabbing was in self-defense, something that D.A. Fleming instructed the jury to consider. Apparently, Fleming said that considering the possibility of self-defense was required by law. In an email to Dateline, Fleming said, quote, In the Lawson case in particular, Given that testimony from the preliminary hearing indicated that the initial physical altercation was an assault on the person initially charged in the homicide, there was no question that self-defense would be raised during the presentation of evidence at any trial, not just during jury instructions, end quote. But I do want to point out that the one juror who interviewed with the press did so because they thought it was a gross injustice. The juror said, quote, I felt like we had failed. The jury had failed, end quote. Also, the jury only deliberated for six hours, and that's something the juror thinks they should have given more thought and time to, that they should have deliberated longer. Also, in Zollner's one interview, you know, the one that only lasted for 15 minutes, Zollner never indicated to police that the stabbing was in self-defense. Instead, he told Detective Sergeant Todd Dockweiler that he'd, quote, rather take a beating than stab somebody, end quote. But listen to this. After all that has unfolded, and after both the preliminary hearing and the convening of the grand jury, the current chief of police, Brian Ahern, said Zollner has never been re-interviewed. He was only ever interviewed for that 15 minutes after the incident. 
and Ahern reassured Dateline that he is confident they know who is responsible for stabbing Josiah. Ahern said, quote, I believe that we arrested the right person initially, and the evidence shows that. I have to make my decision based on facts, and the facts are there are two DNA profiles on the murder weapon. Those two profiles are the victim and the person we arrested that night. Until there is other evidence to suggest differently, we arrested the right person, end quote. Plus, in court documents, Detective Sergeant Doc Weiler is noted as saying, quote, Based on the witness statements that Lawson was fighting solely with Zollner at the time he was stabbed, witness statements that Zollner was holding an object in his hand that appeared consistent with a knife, the physical evidence located at the scene, the physical evidence obtained during the autopsy performed on Lawson indicating he died as a result of the stab wounds he received, I believe probable cause exists to believe Zollner committed the crime of homicide, end quote. But Zollner has continuously and consistently denied the accusations against him, so much so that he even sued the city of Arcata. According to NBC News, the lawsuit alleged that Zollner's arrest, detention, and prosecution were unlawful, that his constitutional rights were violated, and that he was defamed by officers within the Arcata Police Department. But the city and police department both dispute the claims and contested the lawsuit. Regardless, Kyle Zollner and his family have come out and publicly said, after the fact, that the altercation was actually an attack on Zollner, rather than a mutual fight. His family, on behalf of Kyle Zollner, actually released a statement to the community, which says, quote, The issue we have had since the beginning is that many public officials and others have painted a picture that Kyle was in a fight at the party, which is false. There was no fight. What actually took place was a group of men beat Kyle up and Kyle never had a chance to defend himself. Once everyone realizes that a fight did not take place, but an assault and battery did take place, people will be asking the same question we are. Why has the DA not filed charges against the men that beat Kyle up? End quote. And by men, they are referring to the two brothers that went to the party with Josiah that night, Kyle and Christoph Castillo. Apparently, Kyle Zollner is saying those two brothers, along with Josiah, allegedly attacked and beat Zollner on the night in question. The latest information on this lawsuit came on the four-year anniversary of the stabbing, on April 15, 2021. According to KRCR-TV, at the time, the judge over the case was seriously considering throwing out a major portion of the case, but he was taking some time to reflect on a motion to dismiss. Now, Zollner isn't the only one who brought a lawsuit against the city. Charmaine Lawson, Josiah's mother, filed a lawsuit of her own, but hers had a different outcome than a motion to dismiss. According to an article in the North Coast Journal of Politics, People, and Art, Charmaine filed a civil lawsuit against the city of Arcata in November of 2018. The lawsuit alleged that the city and city officials violated Charmaine's 14th Amendment right of equal protection through an inadequate and incompetent investigation of the stabbing death of her son. It also alleged that racism and bias contributed to the city's deliberately indifferent policies and procedures related to the case. In July of 2021, the city of Arcata settled the lawsuit and came to an agreement with Charmaine. NBC News reported that as a result of the lawsuit, the city settled for $200,000, but still never admitted any wrongdoing. 
The city also agreed to create a mural of Josiah, as well as donate $25,000 to the David Josiah Lawson Memorial Scholarship Fund. Now, according to the North Coast Journal, the city considers the $200,000 payment as a compromise of compensatory damages. While, on the other hand, Charmaine has yet to even cash the check, and she told Dateline that she has no plans to do so. She said, quote, I think it is blood money and I will continue to say that, end quote. Charmaine also told the North Coast Journal, quote, Money means absolutely nothing to me. Absolutely nothing. I just want to move on from the settlement and focus on getting the person who is responsible for my son's murder behind bars. They need to be held accountable and justice needs to be served. It has been way too long. That is really my focus. No amount of money is going to bring him back. I don't care if it's $100 million. It's not going to bring him back. I don't care if it's $5,000. It's not going to bring him back. End quote. So rewinding just a tad to February of 2020, the National Police Foundation, a nonprofit in Washington, D.C., conducted an independent review of the police response to the homicide of Josiah. They released a 67-page report identifying several shortcomings in the Arcata Police Department's initial investigation. The report notes that the commanding officer on the night of the stabbing had no specialized training in crime scene management. In addition, the lead investigator had no prior experience in handling homicides, and the crime scene where the stabbing happened was only partially cordoned off. Also, one witness they interviewed changed her story on what she saw several times, and other key witnesses and potential suspects were allowed to leave the scene and or communicate with one another. Oh, and last but certainly not least, just to add a cherry on top, the responding officers allowed the suspect's car that he had driven to the party that night to be driven home without searching his vehicle or checking for key clues or forensic evidence. None of that. They didn't process it for anything. Since the report was released, according to NBC News, the Arcata Police Department has increased its staffing, including hiring more black police officers, and it has also implemented 34 of the 36 recommendations that were documented by the National Police Foundation report. As of now, this case is still unsolved and no other suspects have been announced or arrested, but police pretty much are only focusing on the one suspect. Police continue, like I said, to think that they did arrest the right person initially. They just need more evidence to come to light so they can push the case to a trial. It has now been five years since Josiah's homicide. In a press release dated April 15, 2022, five years since the incident occurred, Arcata Police Chief Brian Ahern urged people to come forward if they know anything at all about that night. Ahern said, quote, It is paramount that witnesses come forward. Our investigative team remains at the ready to respond to anyone at any time to document their statement as we continue the fact-finding process, end quote. So anybody at all who has any information can call the department's 24-hour confidential tip line at 707-825-2590. Or you can also call the Arcata Police Department Dispatch Center at 707-822-2424. Also, there is a $55,000 reward for information directly leading to the arrest and conviction of the person responsible for the fatal stabbing of Josiah. 
Regardless, Charmaine continues to seek justice for her son, and she makes the 700-mile trip from Paris, California to Arcata, California on the 15th of every month for a monthly vigil to honor Josiah. She also remains active in the community of Arcata, where she and other community members formed the Justice for Josiah, or J4J, committee. Through that committee, they hold marches and rallies and annual celebrations of life. Charmaine also has organized winter coat drives in Arcata for the homeless, and she plans to build Josiah's house in Arcata as well, a place where Humboldt State students can find help with housing or get help with financial difficulties or even just make friends. Charmaine works endlessly to ensure Josiah's name will always be remembered in Humboldt County. And with that, I'd like to leave you with some words from Charmaine herself. She said, quote, It's not that my son is any different from anyone else's child. He's not, but he's my child, and I'm going to fight for him. I'm going to fight until I get justice, and I'm not going anywhere. So for whoever thinks that I'm going somewhere, I'm not going anywhere. And please, to the families that have lost loved ones, join me. I'll join you. Let's fight this fight together. This is not over. End quote. Okay, y'all, that officially brings us to the end of Chronicle 30. I can't believe I'm already 30 episodes in. Wow. But as always, please be sure to check out this podcast on social media where I always post photos associated with each case and episode. You can find me at Campus Crime Podcast on Instagram and Campus Crime Chronicles on Facebook. Or if you want to request a specific case or story, you can always email me at campuscrimepodcast at gmail.com. Also, I announced last time, a couple weeks ago, that I officially have a TikTok. (laughs) I'm still learning the ropes and, you know, getting a feel for it. So bear with me as I'm slow to post content. But I am definitely posting content on there and several are campus crime stories that you have never heard before. So yeah, go check out my TikTok. (laughs) Okay, well, that's all for today. So bye for now. Campus Crime Chronicles is researched, written, and recorded by me, Nicole Turner, and it's edited and produced by Giari Gassaway. Tune in again in two weeks for the next Chronicle.